Good evening. Uh, it's good to be with you tonight. Uh, this passage of scripture, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, is uh, you know often subtitled in your Bibles as practicing your righteousness or something like that. And um, you know potentially it's related to this particular uh, motley crew of a community that um, that we get to walk with together on campus. Um, it definitely is related to this season of life right now. Um, but man, it feels really hard to practice any kind of righteousness right now. So I commend you for joining us tonight um, uh, on a Tuesday in the middle of a of just a hard year and in a season where things are pretty tough for a lot of folks. Um, thanks for being here tonight. I'm going to take an interesting kind of angle on this passage because I actually think for many of us, uh, it can be pretty hard to sort of know who's practicing righteousness right now. It feels like there's a lot of practicing something else. So we're going to take an interesting uh, angle on this passage tonight. Open your Bibles up if you haven't already to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18. Matt read that earlier. Um, I'm not going to read it again just for the sake of brevity, but, um, but you can have it in front of you as I talk about it tonight. So with you. Uh, two of, I want to start, I guess, by just sharing kind of an image of my household with you. Two of the most common words that I hear in my life and I have for the past uh, 10 years or so, um, are some version of this, these two words, daddy look. Like there's just, those are two of the most common words I hear in my life. Daddy, look. And there's no shame in that, in those words. There's no embarrassment about this. My kids just unabashedly want me to look at them or look at what they're doing. And so I hear daddy look more than just about any phrase in my house. This morning, it was about a Minecraft house Yesterday, it was about a wood-burning project. The day before that, it was about, and, and for days before that, it was Halloween sort of uh, parties and things in my home. But daddy, look. And it's as if just me noticing my children and knowing what they're doing and what they're going through would be enough for them. That's like what this phrase kind of carries with it. Like, I mean, the joy that comes from me just noticing them is so palpable and real. It's like their joy the joy in whatever they have going on, like whatever they're doing, uh, no matter what it is. Um, it's like, it's complete when I see them. And, and if I resist seeing them, if I, if I don't look at what they're doing or see what they're, they're doing or see them in whatever moment that they're asking for my attention in, it's like it actually steals joy from them. And maybe this isn't too surprising for you. Like we're, we're living in a world dominated by social media and because apparently dancing like no one's looking isn't really good enough for us. Uh, we want everybody to see us, or at least particular people. There's something kind of important, and it's on display right now in our culture through social media. There's something important for us about being seen. But maybe some of you are like me. Like, I don't, I don't actually think I want people to look at me. It's hard for me to just directly attach to that desire. For some of you, it's not, I know. But, but for maybe some of you are like me. I don't generally think I like a lot of attention. Um, I like being alone. Um, I don't have a TikTok account, and, and on my Instagram account, you will hardly see any pictures of me on there, because um, I don't really want you to look at me that way, I don't think. But there's still something about me I do want others to see if I can pay attention. Like, even if my Instagram picture isn't a picture of my face, like, under the hood of the car, I am hoping that you see something of me still. Otherwise, I wouldn't be posting at all. And do you see what I'm getting at? Like, I've never, I've never met a person who in one way or another did not want to be seen. We all want to be seen. At a certain point, we tend to grow out of phrases like daddy look. 
But it's not because we don't want it still. It's just because, you know, our earthly fathers kept saying, just a minute, or not right now. And so we still have to, we have to like figure out different ways to be seen. For many of you who've grown up with your parents on cell phones, uh, my heart breaks for how many times at a young age you had to go to extremes to get your parents to look at you, to pay attention to you, to attend to your desires. How often do my kids need to say, Daddy, you have to come quick, because they know if they just say, Daddy, look, I won't lift my head up from the ESPN app or from my iPhone game or whatever which generates in my kids patterns of needing to use extreme dramatic language to talk about ordinary things. Because having their dad notice them or look at them is an ordinary thing. It's something which they should never have to be ashamed of or work too hard for. God created them and you and me in one sense to be noticed, to be seen. Or in the biblical language, I would say to be glorified. We want to be seen, friends, which helps us to understand why our scripture passage today starts with Jesus's warning, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus is uh, about to, in in the ensuing verses, he's about to come after our motives about who we are doing our religious activities for. Why are we giving generously? Why are we praying and fasting? Who are we hoping notices us when we do those things? And as he does this, he's, this is, I just, I, because I'm taking a different kind of angle on this passage today, I, I still want to give you some of the meat of this passage for your own study or so you know what Jesus is presenting for us today in the scriptures. He's riffing off of a cultural image of actors, Actors, like people who act, you know, whatever, in in film and cinema today or whatever. He's riffing off of like a metaphor in their day and age. That's what hypocrites mean. Your Bible translation, whatever it is, probably says hypocrites, probably, uh, from a Greek word that, that sounds a lot like hypocrite, actually, but it means actor. In the first century, that's what this referred to, to people who went on stage, they had trumpets announcing the, specifically the, the significant people's kind of arrival, the main actor or actress on stage, they had trumpets announcing them. They acted for the applause of the audience. They put on makeup to over kind of accentuate features of their life so people could make sense of that in the audience. And that's a normal and fine thing to do for an actor. But if you're giving and you're praying and you're fasting is an act, If it's all just for the applause of others, Jesus says that their applause is all you're going to get. And I want to come back to that in just a second because there's there that's kind of along the lines of the main thing I want to present to you today. But there's a couple other things going on in the text I don't want to miss. Okay, and the first is that following Jesus will lead to giving and praying and fasting. In each of these areas of righteousness, Jesus says, notice this at each of these sections. He says, when, not if. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus' confidence and grace are on display. Not if you do these things, but when you do them, because you see Jesus is confident that if you listen to him and you respond to him, his work will be accomplished in and through you. Friends, if you follow Jesus, you will do these things. Citizens in the kingdom of God give generously and they pray, and they fast. These are things which will happen in the kingdom of God. Second, life in the kingdom of God involves inner 
and outer realities. If you look at the things Jesus has been teaching in the weeks leading up to this week, we've been going through Matthew chapters 5 through 7 this semester. In each of these areas of, of righteousness, Jesus has been talking about like anger and lust and divorce, and, divorce and, and, and meaning what you say, like being people of your word, loving our enemies. In each of these areas of righteousness, what's happening in your heart is utterly important. If you go back and look at the end of Matthew chapter 5, you'll see Jesus talking about inward realities. Just because something is happening on the outside according to the letter of some law doesn't mean you're not actually transgressing the law in your heart and you're, you're becoming an enemy of God in your heart and of others. There's an inner reality Jesus is moving toward in Ma the end of Matthew chapters 5, pretty dramatically. But and the kingdom of God works this way. It works from the inside of us out. The law, according to Jesus, speaks to the depths of who we are and then works its way out in our behavior. And some of the outward realities of our righteousness in Christ will look like radical generosity rather than hoarding. It will look like prayerful dependence rather than I can do it myself independence. It will look like fasting rather than gluttonous consumption. These will happen as you follow Jesus. And notice that in the kingdom of God, and remember that's what Jesus is laying out for us in this text, what the kingdom of God and its citizens look like. In the kingdom of God, righteousness has both inward and outward realities. Following in Jesus entails both our motives and our behaviors. Both. And we need to hear that because some of us, all of us probably, are really prone to just really emphasizing one or the other. If I do the right thing, it doesn't matter what's going on in my mind and in my heart. Or, or I have stuff going on in my mind and my heart that feels right, and it doesn't matter what I do then. Following Jesus and in his kingdom, both the inward realities and the outward realities are vitally important. Which leads us back to our main idea tonight. Our desire to be seen, motives, and how that's connected to our outward righteousness, behaviors. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. It's not bad that people are seen giving, praying, and fasting. I want to be clear about this. That's not bad. If that were the case, if just being seen by others were bad, then you wouldn't see Jesus praying in front of others. We wouldn't have stories of him fasting in the wilderness for 40 days when he was being tempted by Satan. These things are being public aren't the issue. Jesus doesn't say don't ever do these things in public. He says, beware of practicing them before others that you may be seen by them. He's coming after our motives, our desires to be seen. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right one's doing. When you pray, go into your inner room and pray in secret where your Father in heaven sees you and will reward you. When you fast, anoint your head with oil wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who's in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Practice your righteousness in secret, Jesus says. And some of us get really messed up by this. Some of us take the literal English translation of secret and then try to figure out how to, how to like pray when no one's looking. So like you're in the university center when you could be in public there and you're trying to figure out like, how do I pray and give God thanks for the food that he's given me, for this mini feast in the middle of a day. How do I give God thanks for this without anybody noticing? 
And so there's these times where like I'm taking the lid off the Moe's box and I'm like, God, thank you so much for this food, amen, and acting like I didn't even pray in front of everybody else, you know? Or maybe like you slip your phone into your pocket just so you have an excuse to dip your head down to pray. This sounds kind of ridiculous, but some of us get really caught up in this stuff. And we act as if if somebody sees us, then it won't count or something. Like God's gonna be like, nope, Sarah across the hall over there or the lunchroom, she saw you sucker, so I'm not gonna bless your food or you. You know, we act that way kind of like it's this gimmicky thing. Or when you fast, most of us don't fast, I know, but you will actually if you follow Jesus from food primarily or other things. Like you will be led into realizing that God does not want us to be enslaved by the things which control us, but to have mastery over our own bodies and other things. To remember that, 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 um, that God meets our needs more than the other things that we feast upon with our eyes, with our hands, with our stomachs have solidarity in the world with people who don't have what we have, we will be led to fast. We will be. But I've been hanging out a couple times with somebody when they're fasting, and usually it's when somebody starts fasting, and and this is great. I don't want people to feel ashamed by this, but just listen, this is how awkward it gets. I'll be like, hey, do you want to grab some lunch? And they're like, nah, I'm not really hungry. And I'm like, but bro, I've been with you all day. You haven't eaten all day. Like, you sure you don't want me to grab your lunch for you? And they're like, no, 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 I'm just not really hungry right now. And I'm kind of worried because that's not normal to not be hungry at some point during the day. Um, and then I'm like, well, are you fasting? And they're like, yeah. And they kind of have their head hanging low because I ruined it, you know? Like, like I asked them if they were fasting and now that the secret's out, like it doesn't count. And so we might as well eat, you know, or something. And it's the whole thing is like really awkward and it doesn't need to be that way. You can literally just tell me. The whole situation becomes far less awkward. And as a matter of fact, as long as you're not just fasting to like impress me or to be seen by others, then I would actually probably rather that we talk about it so that we can figure out how to fast together because we're in a culture that is, um, we have rampant consumption and gluttony problems. Rampant. I'm not just talking about food and eating food. I'm talking about the fact that we all, we identify comfortably as consumers, friends. This is a problem. We could learn from fasting and doing that more together. Jesus um, doesn't encourage us to never let anybody see this stuff. I'll I'll say more about that in just a second. Jesus, his warning isn't about people noticing us. It's about our motives and about whether or not we're doing these things in order to be seen by others. Which begs the question, friends, what is the motive behind why you're doing what you're doing? And you might have to flex on righteousness stuff because maybe you don't stand in public and pray or read your Bible in front of people at the UC or whatever. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's as obvious as posting Bible verses on Instagram. But however you flex what you think righteousness looks like, why are you doing that? Are you, do you pray, you know, are you praying right now so that somebody else would know you're a Christian? Are you praying right now so that other Christians would be motivated to pray right now? Are you sharing a GoFundMe on your you know, social media account so that other people see you as somebody who's righteous and doing good things? Maybe on the other end, this is a little bit more creative maybe, but maybe you're pushing against some version of Christianity and demonstrating that you're a real Christ follower in some other way. What's your motive for letting people see that though? Jesus warns us here, beware, he says. If you're doing something for the praise and for the attention of other people, Jesus says, you will get just that. But that's it. And haven't our social media practices taught us how vain and futile that kind of reward is? How many likes or follows or hearts do we need to be finally satisfied, to really feel seen and known and loved? 
it's, it's the answer is more, okay? Uh, if you're practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by others, you will get your reward. They will see you. And it will be hollow and it will never be enough. But you'll get it and then it's done. And you know what? You still won't really be seen or known or loved. Instead, Jesus says, do it for the praise and the attention of the Father. And this is really strange, and like I feel weird even suggesting this, but whatever. Okay, what would it look like for you to make an Instagram? Like, I don't even know if you can do this with TikTok, but I'll just use Instagram for now. What would it look like if you were to make an Instagram account for God? Like, for you and God alone. Like, and maybe it sounds silly, but I mean, like, we make public social media accounts just so other people see them. What do we do in order for God to see us? If you didn't invite anyone to a private Instagram account, like you made it, it was private, and you didn't have anybody following you, so nobody could see it. It was just for you and for the Father in heaven. What would you post on it? If it was just for you and the Father, would your content change? Would you post different things than what you normally post on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? My suggestion is you would. Isn't that a clue that our motives, who we want to see us, changes our behaviors? We would post something different if this was for the Father, and maybe Jesus is on to something. Jesus doesn't tell us to stop practicing our righteousness in order to be seen. He recognizes that we have a God-given desire to be seen. What would it look like to angle for being seen by the Father? rather than from everybody else, rather than from the opposite sex or your roommate or your mentors or your bosses or the people that you respect or some social media influencer, what would it look like to angle for the Father to see you? Jesus promises that there is reward held out for us in that. And in this text, he doesn't seem to be primarily talking about some distant reward after we die. He seems to be talking about reward now, intimacy with God. Christ-likeness growing in us and a growing trust that we are in fact seen. Even as I just read that list, I think how much are we starved for those things? Even if we're not making good decisions right now and if we're kind of in low-level depression or in despair from all the 2020 garbage, how many of us, we may have given up on this, but don't we want intimacy with God if it could be had? Don't we want to see Christ-likeness grow in us and change us and have victory over things? Don't we want to have a growing trust that we are in fact known and loved and seen? And for all this stuff about being in secret, Jesus in the end wants you to be on display. He wants to set up his people like a light on a freaking hill. Which is why he said in the same exact sermon earlier, let your light shine before others that they may actually see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. He doesn't want the good work in you to go unseen. He wants you to be seen. He wants you to be radiant. The whole of the scriptural story ends with a picture of the bride of Christ, the church, you, with the other brothers and sisters in Jesus, radiant and glorified. Daniel goes so far as to say we will shine like stars. So on one hand, in this very sermon, we need to let our good works be seen. On the other hand, we need to practice our righteousness in secret. How do we know whether to bring something out in public or to go into a private place with God? Right? That's a, I think that's a great question to ask, and I want to give you a good rule of thumb. A good rule of thumb is to do the opposite of what you're tempted to do while you're learning the ropes. If we're tempted to hide, let it be seen. 
People need to see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. They need stories of God's transformation. They need to see God at work in you, friend. If you're tempted to show off, maybe do it in secret for the pleasure of God. If we're tempted to hide, the invitation's courage. If we're tempted to show off, the invitation is humility. And I think both will require faith. And so maybe that's actually the good rule of thumb, which requires more faith that God is on the throne and that he sees you and then move in that direction. And in either case, the point is that God is glorified. Whether you show off what God is up to in your life, whether you keep it a secret, the point is that everything is done for the glory of God because what we need is him and his kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world. Jesus warns us here, as his kingdom begins to take root in our lives, we should pay attention to who we want to be seen by. Do we want to be seen by others or do we want to be seen by God? I want to encourage you to say, Daddy, look, way more often. If that sounds too cheesy for you, Father, look is fine. It may not be as biblical, in fact, if you read Galatians or Romans. Father, notice me. Turn your face toward me. Father, do not hide your face from me. You may notice that sounds like the language uh, that riddles the songs of the Hebrew people in the Psalms. This is an excerpt from Psalm 139, for example. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Where should I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? The Lord sees you, friend. You were meant to be seen. If you know that desire, lean into it with your Father in heaven. If you've forgotten that that desire burns within you like a little kid, I want you to get familiar with it again. Daddy, look. It is on the words of every little kid. Mommy, look. Daddy, look. Because until you know that he's actually looking at you, that he knows you, that he delights in you, your joy will not be complete. What's true for my kids is true for each one of us. So I want to close with this story. One of my dear friends shared with me that he's only heard from God once. So I know he's in his 30s, young 30s, mid 30s. He's only heard from God once. I mean, we hear from God in the testimony of scripture. We hear from God in the lives of our brothers and sisters full of the spirit, in the sacraments of the church, in the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God, in the stories of God's work passed down from generation to generation. But when he said he's heard from God once, he wasn't talking about the ordinary ways that God promises we will hear from him. He meant that he's heard from God in that like mysterious way that we all kind of hope for, right? We're Jones in for, like, like some sign in the sky, some crazy dream that can't be explained, right? Or some un, like uh, audible voice. Just one time he heard from God in this unique, mysterious way. And all he heard were two words, two words. And he swears that those two words are enough for him for the rest of his life. He'd like to hear more, he says. He tells me, I'd like to hear more, sure, who wouldn't? But if this is all I hear ever for the rest of my life, it's enough for me for now. And here's what he heard. I know. It's all he heard, I know. And that's enough. He heard those words in this particular moment in his life full of tragedy and heartbreak, and suffering. But those words continue to minister to him in his daily grind, 
in the unseen sufferings, in the hidden ways that he carries burdens for others in the world, in the deepest desires that he has, in the ways he sacrifices for the sake of loving others, he hears God say, I know. And he takes a breath and he goes, that's enough. In the ways he falls short, in the ways he doesn't feel like he measures up, he hears the words of God saying, I know. Which is just another way of saying, I see you. And that's enough. Brothers and sisters, may we seek the face of God rather than the attention of everybody else. May we come to know the pleasure and the delight of our Father in heaven, the one who knows us and loves us and sees us. Lord God, you know we need this now more than ever. For some of us, Lord, draw us out that we need right now to see your good work in people's lives, that we might give you glory, that we might remember that your son Jesus is on the throne and he is bringing all things and all manner of things to a redemptive end. We need to know that. And seeing your good work in people helps us to remember and believe that. For others of us, Lord, in this society where we kind of just whore out our attention, never feeling known or seen, we just, it's crazy how empty we feel, Lord. Would you draw us, draw our attention to wanting your attention? Help us to angle for you to see us, which I know will require faith. I know for, for many of us, it'll feel like a foolish thing. I, I pray that you, your spirit would expose how none, none, none of the other stuff works. And as people begin to look for your attention, Lord, I'm excited for the way in which our behaviors begin to change, for the ways in which our generosity and our praying and our fasting begin to look different in this world. I pray they would know your delight, Lord. That as we say something like, Daddy, look, that we would know that you don't say just a second. You don't say not right now. That you look, that you notice, that you draw near, that you delight. And that's not all you promise, but may that be enough for the moment. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his words. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen.